Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days, she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room, and all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. Let's pray. Your word. Thank you for your word that reminds us of your power. God, I pray that that these accounts would not fall on us as dry history, but that we would see your power displayed through Jesus Christ in the life of your disciples. Father, I pray that we would see in your word that you are not distant but you are present with us. You are present. And Jesus, I pray that we would see that you are still working in and through your people for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's easy to romanticize the underground church in the Soviet Union of old. There were lots of cool, courageous stories of smuggling Bibles. It's an account here shared from a little book that I I commend to you called Dispatches from the Front, Stories of the Gospel Advance in the World's Difficult Places by Tim Kazee. He says, there are courageous stories with smuggling Bibles, cat and mouse games of the KGB, images of Soviet Christians worshiping in the forest, their pews fallen logs, their chapels, walls, silver birch with a cathedral ceiling that reached the sky, but it was no picnic, no James Bond movie. The Soviet Christians were brutally persecuted. Their pastor's preparation for ministry usually took place in a prison rather than a seminary. But the underground church was not underground. People spoke of Christ and won many to Him even in prison. This was Galina's story. Galina Vilchinskaya was a 23-year-old Sunday school teacher who spent five years in prison for her gospel work. But prison, hunger, and beatings could not silence her. She led many in her prison to the Lord, so she was transferred to another prison, and after that, yet another. For her, these transfers, though, were just new gospel opportunities. Finally, Galena was transported by prison train to the utter east of Siberia, along with scores of other prisoners. The worst of the worst! As the condemned in their cages rumbled on through the Siberian vastness, the din of cursing and fighting was broken 
by a clear, sweet voice of singing. It was Galena singing of her Savior. A hush fell over the train car. Even the most hardened criminals turned their faces away to hide their tears. And mile after mile, hymn after hymn, Galena sang the gospel. It's really absurd, though, that the full force of the Soviet Union was bent on crushing a Sunday school teacher for the crime of being a Sunday school teacher. Such senseless hatred, when it erupts to the surface, is like opening a furnace door to hell. But the gates of hell were no match for Galena's God. One striking proof is that today Galena is a pastor's wife in Siberia where once she was a prisoner of an empire that no longer exists. Why do I share a story like that? I share the story like that because I think often we can forget about the power of Jesus Christ that, that is working in and through his disciples even today. I think Luke faced that challenge with the early church, writing some 30 years after these events had passed. And, and Luke was wanting to encourage the church that, that Jesus is still at work powerfully in and through his disciples to change lives, to bring people to him, to turn around world events that he is not thwarted by any world power. I think it's easy for us to forget the power of Jesus Christ. So the physician Luke, he's writing, he's telling us of the Acts of the Apostles of Jesus Christ, and he's showing us the advance of the kingdom of God in the book of Acts. And if by now you have already grown familiar with the, the miracles in the book of Acts, I'd encourage you, go home today, or maybe after lunch today, open up your Bible and read through and just stop at every time the power of God is demonstrated. And think about that for a moment. Think about why is Luke doing that? What is he trying to do? What is he trying to show us? I believe he's trying to show us that the power of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ is undefeatable. He's showing us this thread that we've seen all throughout the book of Acts is that, is that God, is, his plan continues unhindered. How Jesus Christ is, is continuing to, to build his church through the Spirit's power despite any and all opposition. And when you come to a passage like this, we can become really familiar with it. It can become like dry history. That's not how it, it's meant to be read. This is an amazing account of the power of Jesus Christ in the midst of a culture, in the midst of an empire that was not pro-Christian. Jerusalem, they faced imprisonment. They faced persecution and death from religious zealots and Saul, who would later become the Apostle Paul, he was one of the chief persecutors. And we heard over the last couple weeks, he was breathing out threats. And yet the power of Jesus Christ made him new, converted him. Stephen was stoned. People were beaten, thrown in jail, carried away to die. The animosity didn't just exist in Jerusalem. It existed elsewhere in the Roman Empire. We're going to see later on in the book of Acts. The Christians didn't have protection from the law. The culture didn't accept them. They were strangers. They were aliens. They were seen as weird and backwards at best. And all this came about by the perfect plan of God. You see, God wasn't thwarted by all that. He wasn't thwarted by the culture, by the, the power of the Roman Empire. But the Christians 
they trusted in the power of Jesus Christ. They believed in the power of Jesus Christ. They, they knew that Jesus Christ had been resurrected from the dead, and they had confidence in that, and that's what fueled their mission, and that's what fueled them going out and sharing the gospel. And they didn't just believe, they staked their lives on their belief in Jesus. These, these kinds of stories are compelling for us. We have to ask ourselves, are we staking our lives on Jesus? Are we trusting in the power of the risen Christ? Are we living and acting like he is powerfully at work still in and through his disciples, in and through you and I? Sometimes we read the book of Acts like a dry history book as if it's some distant, maybe unrelatable account, but let's not do that. Let's not, let's not be unaffected this morning. God's word's not just some fairy tale. It's not just some history about events of long past. It's it's meant to inform us. It's meant to instruct us. As we, as we see the truth, it's meant to transform us, that we might be conformed into his image, that we might, too, have faith in the power of Jesus Christ. And I think that one of the main things, really the main idea that Luke is trying to get across to us, why is Luke showing us yet again another set of miracles? Because I think Luke knows that we need, we need, and, and the, the believers in that day needed to see that Jesus, the risen Jesus, he's still powerful. I think that's the main thing that we need to get from this passage today is that the risen Jesus is still powerful and he's actively working in and through his disciples. The question for us is, do you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you live like that? Do you act like that? Do you trust in that? Do you know that the risen Jesus Christ is still powerful and that he's actively working in and through his disciples? Are you staking your life on that? Am I staking my life on that? You see the intent here for Luke with these early readers, and I think for every reader since then, is to, is to bolster our faith, to bolster our confidence, and to increase our expectancy for Jesus Christ to continue to be at work. And our country is not very different from the first century in a lot of ways, it's becoming more and more like that. It's a culture that's increasingly hostile to Christianity. In some ways, that's a really good thing because it enables us to shine light. Several parts of our government, they've recently carried out training claiming those who were Bible-believing Christians are potentially dangerous members of society around the world. You've been reading and hearing about for the last couple months the threat of radical Islam and the persecution and murder of thousands of Christians is very real. But we must not forget. We have a risen Savior. A risen Jesus Christ who is still powerful and actively working in and through His disciples. Today, perhaps as much as the first Christians reading the Acts of the Apostles, I think we need to understand we need to know, we need to be reminded that our risen Savior is still the most powerful one. And He's still actively at work in and through His disciples. And one of the first truths that, that Luke displays to us, that he shows to us, that he demonstrates to us through stories. You see, Luke gives us truth in a little bit different way than, than Paul does in his epistles. Luke gives us truth through showing us truth lived out. And so one of the ways that, that Luke demonstrates truth is in this account, and he's demonstrating that disciples of Jesus do great works by the power of Jesus. We don't, we don't do great works in our own strength, in our own power, and Luke is showing that. He's demonstrating that through Peter, that 
he did not do great works. You think that, well, wait a minute, wasn't Peter by now really confident in himself? After all, it says in Jerusalem that everyone they brought to him was healed. Can you imagine that? I'm guessing thousands of people have been brought to Peter. Imagine the ego boost that potentially could be in a negative way. What if you were Peter and everybody that, that was sick who came to you was healed? You might begin to trust in your own ability. You might begin to trust in your own strength, your own power. But that's not what we see here. And Luke's showing us that disciples of Jesus do great works by the power of Jesus. Look in verse 32 where he begins his account. If you don't have a Bible, look on with somebody with you. It says, Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. Peter didn't remain in Jerusalem for the entirety of his ministry. He had stayed there, it says in in earlier chapters in Acts, probably to, to help care for the church that was persecuted. And once the persecution in Jerusalem began to die down, as, as Paul left and, and others left, he began to go out to instruct and to encourage and to, to teach the Christians all around. He was actively ministering. He was specifically seeking to go about teaching and encouraging those who believed in Jesus. And look in your Bibles in verse 33. As he's out and about and he's, he's telling them about Jesus, it says, there he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And as Peter went along, he didn't ignore the people in need, but he also didn't trust in his own ability and his own power. Back in Acts 5, we saw that, that the sick were being brought out. Even, even the shadow of Peter was healing people as he passed by. But he didn't grow comfortable. He didn't become complacent. He didn't trust in his own ability. Maybe Peter was remembering the, the time earlier in, in the ministry of Jesus when Jesus encountered a paralyzed man who'd been laying there for 38 years by the pool of Bethesda. And when Jesus said, why are you there? And he said, well, I'm laying here because when the water stirs, because there was a God would miraculously work, stir the water, when people get in the water in faith, God would heal them. But yet this man could not get in the water because he was lame and he didn't have any friends. I don't mean lame socially, I mean lame physically. He was physically paralyzed. He couldn't get in the water. And so Jesus just looks at him and he says to the man, get up, take up your bed, and walk. Maybe... Peter was remembering that power that Jesus Christ had because he uses almost the same type of words. And Peter comes to Aeneas and says, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. Peter didn't say that, that he made him well. He didn't for a moment take credit or believe that somehow he was making this man well. He said, Jesus Christ heals you. You see, Peter was confident in the power of Jesus Christ. And I wonder today if we are so confident in the power of Jesus Christ. If we are expectant and looking for Jesus to be working in and through the disciples today. Aeneas on his part, it didn't seem to waver or hesitate. We didn't see lack of faith. On the contrary, we see that it says immediately he rose up. Can you imagine being paralyzed and bedridden for eight years? I bet that you or I might be tempted to think, you know, Peter, I'm paralyzed. Um, you're telling me to take up my bed and walk, but I can't move. 
Maybe you'd be thinking, you know, Peter, you know, I'd really like to get up, you know, I, really I would, but um, you see this whole, like, my muscles don't exist in my legs anymore? And, and yet, this man was placing his faith in Jesus Christ, and the power of Jesus was at work in him. And it regrew the muscles and the tendons and the ligaments and everything necessary. And immediately he was healed to the power of Jesus Christ that was still at work. And why is Luke showing us yet another miracle? It's because he wants us to see that although Jesus is no longer physically present, the risen Christ is still working and still is powerful over any and all disease, over any and all challenge and any and all malady. And then next, you see that this news about the healing must have spread because they heard about Peter being in Joppa about 12 miles away. Look down at verse 36. It says, now that it was a disciple named Tabitha, named, which translated means Dorcas, she was full of good works and acts of charity. As a disciple of Jesus, this woman had a great reputation. She was obviously well-loved. This her name translates to gazelle. It's the, the metaphor that's used in the Song of Solomon for the beloved. And she was obviously very beloved. And then in verse 37 and 38 it says, In those days she became ill and died. So they must have been distraught when this great woman all of a sudden became ill and died. They must have been thinking, does, does Jesus notice? Does, does God care that this, this woman who is so full of good works, that why did she become ill? Why did she die? They must have been wondering those things. And look in verse 38, it says, Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. They didn't lose faith. They didn't lose hope in Jesus. They actually sent people, instead of burying her, they sent people to go get Peter. Because maybe they were thinking, you know what? Maybe Jesus will choose to heal. It would have been odd that they didn't bury her. The Jews did not wait until past nightfall of the same day to bury people they would wash the bodies and then they would immediately because they did not embalm they would immediately put them in the tomb and also because they didn't want it to be defiled so it would have been customary and expected to quickly wash and bury the body and then something else was strange they didn't do that that was odd enough but then they put they put the body in the upper room a place that would typically be reserved for for travelers or guests or for others visiting and so they implore Peter to come, and it doesn't explain what they said or if they even told him why. But in verse 39, it, it tells us, so Peter rose and went with them. Why? How, how could Peter quickly get up and go with them? I think it was because Peter knew the power of Jesus Christ and expected him to be at work. You see, if Peter was like much, most of us today, and somebody said, you know, there's this problem I need you to come help me with, or there's this person who's sick, can you come pray? If, 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 like many of us, he might have been tempted to think, well, you know, I'll, I'll pray for you, but not really been, have been expectant for Jesus to be at work, and yet he's really trusting the power of Jesus to be work in and through him. And so he gets up, it says, and he rose and went with them. He got up and went, probably expecting, not knowing how, but expecting Jesus to be at work. And then it says, the next scene, it says, if you look down your Bible, it says, when he arrived, they took him to the upper room and all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. See, they take Peter right in. He gets up, he goes. They take Peter right into this upper room. You can, you can picture it in your mind. And there's these, these widows who are around. They are sad. 
he gives us the detail that these were widows that had, had tunics, cloaks made for them, and other garments made for them, because he's showing us that, that Dorcas was, she was giving. Those weren't inexpensive things, and yet she was providing for the most needy. She was providing for the poor, and, and so that just heightens the sense of sadness that, that the community there must have felt, the sense of loss they must have felt. How is this beloved woman that died, and, and how had she, she died when she was such a devout follower of Jesus? They must have been wondering. They're probably telling Peter all about her, saying things like, see this beautiful coat that she made for me, with a great Jewish accent. And they were, they were showing all of the wonderful wares, and they were sad. I've been in situations like that before. You have this mixture of, of feeling privileged to be there, to, to share in honoring of the person who's died, and yet you share also in, in their grief and the sense of loss. And I can imagine that Peter sympathized with him, but he, he didn't stay there. He was full of faith. He was trusting the power of God to make her alive again. So look in verse 40. It tells us, it says, But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. And calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. He's here following the example of Jesus yet again. Peter would have remembered that Jesus not only can raise the dead to life, but he can, he can change any and all situation. And he also did the similar thing to what Jesus did when, when he came to raise the daughter of Jairus from the dead. Jesus put, put out all the people who were mourning. Jesus had told them, she's not, she's not dead, she's just sleeping. They mocked him, and he put them out of the room. And then he said to the little girl, Jesus said, Talitha, arise, or little girl, arise. Very similar to the words that Peter is speaking here. So Peter is trusting again and, and, and putting faith and confidence again in Jesus and in what Jesus had done and his power. And Peter was expecting Jesus to continue to be at work in the same way. And he was. But he wasn't trusting in his own power. What, is, what does it tell us that he did? The first thing he did was not command her to come back to life. The first thing he did was to rely on the power of God. Look down your Bibles. What does it say that he did? He put them outside, and then what did he do? He knelt down and prayed. Why was that? Why did Peter kneel down and pray? Hadn't he already healed countless people? Yes, but Peter was demonstrating not only for this account, but really in his own heart, because nobody else was seeing this. He, he, he was demonstrating his trust in God, his reliance upon God, his need for the power of Jesus Christ to be at work. I think it's instructive for us when we face challenges, when we encounter difficulties, when we encounter circumstances that seem absolutely beyond our ability do we just dive in headlong? When we encounter really something that is, seems impossible, what do we do? How do we respond? Well, Peter gives us an example of how disciples are to respond to trust in the power of God. So he kneels down and he prays, asking God to be at work. And then he steps out in faith. 
And then he commands her to rise. He says to this woman, Tabitha, arise. Just picture in your mind for a moment this scene. This woman opens her eyes up. She'd probably been dead for a day or two already. She opens up her eyes. She doesn't know who Peter is. She looks and she sees this guy there all of a sudden. I don't know if Jesus prepared her or what. And then Peter gives her his hand and she gets up. And then the people who are all outside, I'm not sure they were really anticipating that, or if they were, I'm not sure they were prepared for that because imagine when they opened the door up and she came out, their amazement. And imagine the faith they must have had in the power of Jesus Christ. And I think that's the intent of Luke. It's it's really to show us that, that Jesus is still at work powerfully. This story is not meant for us to, to see. And we, in fact, we never see that in the Bible. Stories of people who have been raised to life telling about, you know, when I went to heaven, I saw all these things and, and, and coming back and telling about them. It's because we're not meant to place our faith in, in people's accounts. We're meant to place our faith in, in, in the truth of Scripture and what God says and to trust in His Word. And so we don't, we don't get to hear the details, although it would be neat to hear about what did she experience, where was she, what was she doing, what did Jesus say, and, and, and did she kind of argue in heaven, or what did that look like? She was already with Jesus, and, and yet now Jesus is saying, you know, I need you to do something else for me. I need you to go back there, because I want people to know about my power. Or maybe she was excited and said, thanks for this opportunity, and she, so she, she goes back. But the main emphasis is not about Tabitha's experience in the afterlife, or even what she did after she's brought back to life. But the main thing we're meant to see is the power of Jesus to make the dead alive. Do you believe that Jesus has the power to make the lame to walk and dead alive? Is somehow the power of Jesus changed? Now, he might not demonstrate it in the same ways today. But he is no less at work. He is no less powerful. And we should be no less expectant for him to be at work. The main thing we're meant to see is that although Jesus is no longer physically present with the disciples, he is actively present. He's demonstratively present. He is is really present with them on earth. He's not passive. Maybe you are tempted to think that somehow Jesus is passive about your situation and circumstance. Maybe he's passive towards your physical suffering. Maybe he's passive towards your illness. Maybe, Maybe Jesus is passive towards the suffering you see around the earth. This account is meant for us to see that no, it's not true. He's not disengaged. He's not passive. He's not distant. He's not dormant. Luke's showing that Jesus is actively involved in the life of the disciples. He's present with the disciples. He's doing ministry in and through his disciples. And do you expect that? That's the question for you and I today. Do you, do you and I, do we expect the active presence of Jesus as we go out as his disciples. Do you long for that? Do you look for that? Are you anticipating his power to be at work? If not, why not? He's present with his disciples. He's doing ministry in and through his disciples. He's still alive and he's working. And that's what Luke is showing us is he's not dead. The risen Christ is still working. And Tabitha's resuscitation, and I call it resuscitation because, you know, she died eventually. And so did Aeneas. 
So why? Why did Jesus heal? Why did Jesus resurrect? He did it to demonstrate that he's still powerful. And he's still powerfully at work in and through his disciples. And the second truth that we see that Luke's demonstrating for us is that not only is he still powerfully at work, that he does great works through his disciples to give new life. You see, Jesus Christ does great works through his disciples, and he does it for a purpose, is to give new life. And, and you and I need to anticipate that he still continues to do great works through his people. But do we anticipate that? I think we should. I think we need to. If we're going to be effective on what he's calling us to do, we need to trust in the fact that he is still powerfully at work in and through us. And he's, he's, he's at work because he desires to give people new life. The purpose of these miracles really does demonstrate people everywhere the real and great power that Jesus has. It tells us in verse 35, it says, All the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, speaking of Aeneas, and they turned to the Lord. What were the effects of the, the healing of him? It was, it was demonstrating that Jesus was powerful to heal. Maybe they had all heard about Aeneas. Maybe they had heard about the severe accident or whatever it was that caused his paralysis. Maybe he was laid at the local synagogue to beg for alms because he couldn't provide for himself. We don't know, but we know that why God was doing this, why God was at work, it was to draw people to him. And Peter expected God to be at work through him so that God could bring people to new life. Do you and I expect God to be at work in and through us so that he might bring people to new life? You see, God desires to to bring people to new life in him. He wants to make people alive, and he does that through people, through you, through, my, through me, as we place our faith, our hope, our trust in him. I can imagine Ayanaeus was excited. I'm sure he's full of joy. He probably couldn't talk, stop talking about what, he had, what had happened to him. I'm sure he told everybody about what he saw and how he'd been, been paralyzed for eight years, but this man said that Jesus Christ healed him. And look down at verse 42. Luke tells us what the intended effect of this miraculous raising of, of Tabitha from the dead was. You see, Jesus was raising her from the dead temporarily so he might permanently give many, life, many new life. Look in verse 42. It says, It became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. All throughout this, this seaside port city of Joppa, it's, it's a modern city of Jaffa, just a, a mile or two south of Tel Aviv. All throughout this, this important port city, is the closest port city to Jerusalem, which means that the gospel is probably spread from there to other regions. And all throughout this city, it says, many believed in the Lord. These miracles of healing of a paralytic man and, and the raising the dead to life. They're meant to show that Jesus still has power over sickness and death. Jesus still has power over sickness and death. Jesus is alive, and the miracles that Peter performed, they are visible signs of the new life of Jesus Christ. I like the way that John Stott puts it. He was commenting on this passage, and he says, both miracles were signs of the salvation of Jesus. Recovery from paralysis and resuscitation from death 
were both visible signs of that new life into which, by the power of the resurrection, we sinners are raised. Did you get that? It says, they were both visible signs of that new life into which, by the power of the resurrection, we sinners are raised. Do you realize that we have been raised to this same new life? And that, that Jesus is still at work powerfully and He wants to be at work in and through us powerfully so that He might bring others to new life because He has raised us up through the power of the resurrection to a new life. Don't become dull to that as you read through the book of Acts. We have new life. We're secure in Him. We don't need to fear anything or anyone in this life anymore. Though they slay us, yet shall we live. We've been given eternal life. We have an opportunity to share this life with others so that many might believe in Him and be saved. Another account I want to share with you from stories of the Gospel advance in the world's most difficult places. He writes, on the gospel front as well, one that also has its share of real bullets and bombs, it's the foot soldiers that God uses to move the boundaries of His kingdom into more and more hearts. Not long ago, I was on the Syrian border where Christians run a little clinic, providing medical services along with the gospel to Bedouin tribes. A British nurse named Claire told me that radical Muslims have threatened to kill them and to burn the hospital down. She also told me they had not reported these threats. Why not? Well, she says because the government would close the clinic for the safety of the staff. She said, matter of factly, whether it's the bad man with the gun or the nice man with the tie, the result's the same. The clinic will be closed. We have no reason to stop now. They have stolen our vehicles. They threatened to kill us but they have not yet harmed us and they cannot unless God permits it. And even then, it will be okay because we will be with the Lord. Even though she faced armed robbers and lethal force, Claire's voice was as steady as her faith. Claire doesn't have a death wish. She has a living hope. She knows Christ is powerful to save her and to save all who come to Him. Do you believe that? Do you know that? Do you live that way? Each and every morning when you are faced with discouragement, do you, do you remember that the power of Jesus Christ is at work in you, that He's given you new life, and that He wants you to share that new life with others? You see, Jesus is still doing great works through His disciples today. Jesus came that we might have new life in Him, a life that can never be taken away from us. He's powerful to save and to save all who come to Him. He won't lose any who come to Him. Actually, if you want to flip over in your Bibles just for a moment to, to John chapter 10, we don't have this one on the overheads for you, but flip over in your Bibles just for a minute. Keep your finger in an axe and, and flip over to John chapter 10, verses 28. Christ is powerful to save and to keep 
all who come to him. He tells us in John 10, 28, he says, I give them eternal life. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hands. I and the Father are one. As you're living your life as a disciple of Jesus Christ, we need to know that Jesus is still powerful and he's at work in and through us, but he's at work doing a greater work to give new life to other people and that we need to have a confidence that no matter what might happen, we will never perish and no one will take us out of God's hand. We're secure that he's greater than all, that that God is greater than all and no one is able to take us from the Father's hand and, and Jesus and the Father are one and together they hold us secure. That should change the way that we live. It should change the way that we interact with our coworkers and friends and family members if we know that we're secure in Him. Who's going to threaten us? Who's going to threaten our security? No one. Who's more powerful than God? No one. Who, Who is able to harm us unless God permits it? No one. And we can be sure not only is He holding us, but he's, he's giving us new life. And He wants to be at work in us and through us to give that new life to others. And then finally, there's another brief truth that Luke demonstrates for us in verse 43. And, and Luke does this subtly. He, he just puts some passing comments all throughout Acts that really demonstrate some, some principles. And, and, and look in, in verse 43, there's this another brief truth that he demonstrates through Peter. It's that Jesus works His new life in his disciples. He works his new life in his disciples. Look in verse 43. It says, And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon. Notice these two little throwaway words. A tanner. Why, why is Luke saying Simon a tanner? Why, why is it important for us to know the occupation of Simon? As if somehow that's his, his surname. It's not. But instead of giving us his surname to, to indicate who this specific man was... He, he didn't indicate that. He says who Simon, what Simon did. Simon was a tanner. And Peter stayed there for a long time, presumably, because when it says for many days, the same kind of word that he used to Paul when he stayed for many days, and it was over a year. And so he stayed there for many days with a tanner. Now for us, it's no big deal. Like, well, okay, so he stayed there with a tanner. Big deal. But in that culture, in that day, I think this would have been a little surprising for Christians who came from a a Jewish background. It's not the main idea of the passage, but I think there's something we can notice here. He, Peter wasn't staying in, in the Jaffa Holiday Inn. He stayed in people's homes. And as a side note, it's one of those areas the book of Acts I think is overlooked a lot is the fact that the disciples were so affected by, by Jesus that they, they practiced hospitality to, to anyone who needed it. And so we see Peter and Paul and lots of others, they're Demonstration of the kind of hospitality the early church practiced. But, but the small detail, who is he staying with? He's staying with a tanner. It's important because it shows us that Peter wasn't living according to the traditions of men because he had been made new. 
Yes, Peter still had his issues. He still had his problems. But he was being made new. You see, for a Jew in that day, and for Peter would have been very knowledgeable about Jewish customs and practices. And he would have known that it was said of tanners that if a woman became engaged to a tanner and she didn't already know that he was a tanner, she found out that would be grounds for her to to separate from him because they were seen as defiled, they were seen as unclean because they dealt with the dead and that was an unclean, a defiled profession. And they were constantly dealing with dead things with carcasses so they were constantly in a state of being unclean. They weren't allowed to come into the temple because of that. They couldn't practice worship in the synagogues in the same way. They were seen as unclean members of society and yet Peter chooses this guy to stay with. And I think that's a demonstration of something. It's a demonstration of that, that God is changing and has changed his disciple, Peter, and is making it so that he's tearing down those prejudices, tearing, tearing down those religious traditions and biases. And he's living with him in the same house where he conducted this unclean business, but he wasn't made unclean by Simon. He was accepted And he accepted him as a brother, despite any religious notions of being unclean. You see, Jesus was powerfully at work in Peter to change him, to get rid of prejudices. And he was preparing him for one of the biggest changes. And and next week we're going to look at how really the biggest change in in Peter's ministry is when Peter is going to bring the gospel to the most unclean type of person in his mind, which is the Gentile. And what we need to see, and why is Luke showing us a little throwaway detail, is to show that, that Jesus is bringing new life, and it's not new life that stops at conversion, but he continues to cause his disciples to grow, to change in areas they need to. That should bring us hope and faith for a guy like Peter who's not prejudiced against a tan or an unclean person. In fact, he's staying there with them. It didn't mean that he thought it was unclean, I'll be coming unclean. He realized that he, he needed to grow, he needed to change, and he was, he was growing, and he was changing. And for us, I think at times we can lose faith in the power of Jesus Christ to change us. We can forget he's given us new life, but he didn't stop there. He continues to to make us into his image. He continues to get rid of the dross, to get rid of those things that don't glorify him. He he continues to make us into his image, to to transform us, and to to make us like him. Because his new life has effects that continue. We're going to see this continuing effects. And you, and you see that all throughout the book of Acts, that he continues to be at work in the life of his disciples. You need to know that because he continues to be at work in my life and your life. If there are areas that maybe you are stuck in, maybe you feel like, I can't, just, I can't get over this area. I, can't, I don't feel like I can get past this area of sin or weakness or failure. You need to see the power of the new life of Jesus Christ at work in you and trust that he will be at work in you still to make you into his image. We need to know and have faith and trust that Jesus is still working powerfully in us. You know, sometimes we're weak, sometimes we're frail, sometimes we have prejudices. If you're honest with yourself, we'll talk about that next week a little more. We need to know that he's transforming us into the new person he's called us to be and Yes, he calls us to obey him. Yes, he calls us to faithfully work out our salvation with fear and trembling, but ultimately, it's his power that's at work in us to transform us. We don't see that Peter was saying, I don't want to be prejudiced anymore. We see that God was just changing him. 
So in the midst of this hostile culture, threats all around, Luke was demonstrating that Jesus still works powerfully to heal and to give new life. And in the midst of where we are today, maybe you find yourself in a hostile work environment or school or family or wherever you might find yourself that seems hostile and against Jesus, that seems hopeless, in a place where I don't think the gospel has a good chance. It's this account that's meant to give us hope that Jesus is still powerfully working in and through his disciples. He has power over life. He has power over death. He has has power to make the lame to walk. And he has power that works in the life of the disciples to make them into his image. The question is, do you and I believe that? Do we trust in that? Or has it just become like dry history? I pray by God's grace that he makes his word alive and that he stirs up a fresh trust and faith in him even when we don't see how he's at work. Let's pray.